we live in conditions of war and journalists all also have to live in the conditions of war. Justice plays an important role. I consider this tribunal a false tribunal and indictments false indictments. Such abhorrent crimes must not go unpunished. Proceedings will be long and complex. All rise. Hello and welcome to Asymmetrical Haircuts. I'm Janet Anderson. And I'm Stephanie van der Berg. And we're continuing today with the theme of reporting in a war zone. We've just done the interview with Danny Kemp, the AFP journalist, where he described what it was like to be the first international journalist reporting on the Butcher massacre. And we want to shine the light on Ukrainian journalists as well. You can see them like um, there was one on the front page of Time magazine just recently. And you see them sending messages on Twitter and providing lots of up to date info, using their voices also to counter the disinformation messages that come out. But not all of them are frontline going to the site of a bombing or, you know, doing the kind of stuff that, that Danny was doing with his team. Some are dealing with linkage between war and justice and the accountability issues. Some are doing the usual political work, you know, just holding truth to power. And some are looking for human stories as well. And one of the journalists we've gotten to know in the last weeks is Oksana Kovalenko. She's worked with Babel, an online news site uh, which launched in Ukraine in 2018, and she's worked there since the launch. And she covers politics, war, law enforcement and war crimes. Hi, Oksana. Hello. Oksana, you got this incredible brief, but we got to know you because of your specifically strong interest in accountability, which means that we hope that we're going to be seeing you here in The Hague, that you're going to be visiting in The Hague shortly. And we're so looking forward to that. But let's try to understand your situation right now. And maybe you could run through a bit about the conditions that, you know, like an ordinary person like you, an ordinary journalist is working in, moving from place to place, air raids, petrol, just just give us a picture. So I have to tell you that today is, is a not ordinary day because we didn't have air raids yet. Yesterday we had uh, five, I think. And um, I got used to them as many other people in Ukraine. And um, I used to go to, I live in private house, and I used to go to a basement before. In February, we did that with all our family. But then I've understood that Russians are using aviation, they're using air bombs. And I understood that my basement will not help if it happens. So I've stopped going there. And uh, so if even an air raid starts, we will continue our conversation okay okay well just let us know but i mean i remember when i was just preparing with you you talked about that there's basically no petrol around that, that it's very difficult for you to to get anywhere yes that is the problem but well we live in conditions of war and journalists all also have to live in the conditions of war missile attacks uh, whatever even if you are not in front line you you are in conditions of war. Sometimes it, it, it is difficult to get stories because we cannot go and meet people. Also, because we, we don't have petrol right now, because Russians attack our infrastructure, they attack our uh, refinery plant, our oil storage facilities, railways, etc. So um, it is difficult to get petrol and to move around. I, I'm staying at home and sometimes using bicycle 
to go to, to a store or something because um, my car is standing without the petrol and waiting for a better period. I think you'll find um, feeling very at home when you come here to the Netherlands because we're on, on bikes here, here as well. I also wanted to add that uh, some of journalists also get post-traumatic syndrome right now. It is already happening because they witness horrific events and it's difficult to keep it inside. And uh, I saw some people who, who were already expecting it. Yeah, because now your work has changed also very much. You've been reporting on war crimes before. You've been covering uh, this since the invasion of the Crimea and the Donbass. How is this different for you? And is it for you also a risk that you are exposed to uh, things that you have a traumatic or uh, reaction to? Um, yes, I had such dramatic reaction before because we, the war started in 2014. And first it was Crimea and then it was Donbass. Crimea was not uh, was using the force, but still it was traumatic because it was my part of my country. And I saw how it all happened. And uh, um, uh, as, as to uh, crimes, for example, we could see the deportation of people, like people were forced to leave. And then there were lots of Russians who came uh, uh, into Crimea, for example, or uh, they've started to call to the army, the people who were actually Ukrainian and who were living in Crimea. And this is the crime. And then uh, when uh, Donbass started, I uh, was uh, volunteering also. I went to frontline. I brought uh, some helmets and vests uh, to our soldiers. I saw it in my eyes, what, what is going on. It was not that horrible as right now because uh, there, was no, there was no aviation. Because aviation is the worst what people can see in the war, I think. Because it's you, you cannot hide anywhere from, from the avia bombs. It's terrible. As to crimes, uh, because I we, we see lots of crimes and we are trying to talk about them and to so that not only Ukrainians know about it, but also also the whole world should know about it. And um, for, when uh, the safe corridors opened, we've started to talk to people who came out of. Bucha, for example, they were not liberated. These small towns were not liberated yet, but these people started to talk about the situation. And uh, what we heard, it was horrible. I just wanted to mention that maybe we'll hear a little bit of uh, strange noise on this recording. It's because we're, uh, we've got maybe some notifications and I, I think I was drinking a cup of tea earlier and you might be able to, to, to hear, hear that. So I apologize for, you know, this, any sound quality issues. I was wondering specifically, uh, kind of woman to woman, whether you have been particularly following the stories of the sexual assaults on women and the alleged rapes against women, either earlier or more more recently? I didn't hear about them before. Like the, the first time I've started to hear about it, it was since February 24th. And um, actually, we've started to learn about this not very long time ago because women do not 
talk about it a lot. They uh, feel ashamed and they do not want to talk about it. So when you find out the stories about this, you're getting very impressed because, like, for example, it, it's not just rapes of women, it's rapes of children, which is very, very difficult to hear the stories. And we had such story in uh, Babel. It was um, about two girls. One girl was nine years old and the second was 11 years old. The first one was uh, injured very badly during the rape. And the second girl is suspected of being pregnant after the rape. I don't know what, what is going on with them right now because uh, we had this story for about a month ago, I think. But there are lots of such stories. And uh, these rapes happen to, to little girls and boys and to uh, young women and to uh, men. I don't know who, who, can, who can be this person who does that. And how, how is it then for you to have to report on that? Because I'm already sitting here thinking that it's going to make it difficult for me to sleep at night to know that these this stories are going on. I understand that you have this drive to report it, but how do you deal with having to hear to listen to that? Uh, we have to listen to that and we have to report it. And uh, we also report about the uh, killing of people when Russians left the towns near Kiev, we could see people with tied arms and shot into their head. And no one knows why it happened. I, I was I was writing a story of a girl who went out through the safe corridor from, from Bucha. And uh, she told me about a man who just wanted to get some water and, have, and he was shot on the street. And no one knows why. And there are lots of such stories and we have to deal with them and we have to tell them. And I don't know, that's what I, I told. Some, some journalists already have this syndrome. Some journalists are not having it, but I think this may, may happen anytime because we have to deal with all these stories. I understood from you, Oksana, that um, you've recently, or relatively recently, got a law degree. And I, I wondered... Um, beyond the original degree that you had. So I, I was wondering whether that was to help you kind of understand terminology in in what's going on or or was it because you could use it in your journalism somehow? What, 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 what was your, not, not going way back into your past history, but how are you using it now? Yeah, it's, it was a long story about my, my second uh, degree. <laughs> to make sto story short, um, now it helps me a lot. It was not just only to get the terminology, but I just wanted to understand how this all works. Did the tribunals, the courts, how do the prosecutors work? What do the uh, lawyers do? How this system works? And this, now it ha it helps me a lot to write about all these topics because I understand, I know, yes, I do know the terminology. I do know what, I don't have to uh, use a lot of time, for example, to understand what, what is going on because I understand the every, every part, like 
uh, during the investigation, what is going on, and what what can I ask for uh, which in what information can I ask, and then uh, during the court, what should I do? What should I uh, um, expect for? What should I ask uh, during this period? Like this helps me a lot to understand how to report, what to report, what to ask, what to do, where to go to find some information. Let's explain it like this. And sometimes it helps me to have conversations with with different ministries, for example, which are not giving me the information. And I can use law and say that they have to give this information because it is written here. So it helps me (laughs) a lot. And you usually cover, or you used to cover politics, local politics and corruption, those types of stories. But I'm assuming that that story is, I guess, a bit on the back burner now in Ukraine. Do you worry uh, also that you potentially have to kind of feel that you cannot say anything now for fear of kind of being marked as not being patriotic enough or not supportive enough of your country now that is in these difficult times? I was thinking about this for for last week, actually. And uh, there are two parts. One part is a war part. And another part is our internal things, internal politics, let's say it like this. And now I found out that as when we are talking about the war, yes, I have some kind of uh, self-censoring because this is my country and I'm Ukrainian and I just need my country to be strong and to survive after all this war. So um, there are some things which I I understand that we cannot get such such information for for as as in Israel, for example, we are not asking the information. Uh, about not about the people, but we are not asking figures, for example, of uh, of our casualties in army, because we know they will not give it, and we understand why they are not giving. Like in Israel, for example, there are some some things which are not. I, I'm I'm not sure that this is the right time to write about them. For like, I have lots of of, of questions. Why, for example, why Russian army? was able to get Kherson so quickly? This is the question, and I will ask it. But I think I will ask it a a little bit later, because now it is not very good time for people to know this, because this, we all, now we are all standing for Ukraine, we are doing all our best, and if we get such information, we may, like, get upset. You know, it's, it it will be difficult to, to stand again. And so this is why I'm not asking such questions. But when we are talking about inter- internal politics, I feel free and I um, ask tough questions if I see that they are not doing something good. For example, we have uh, a minister of education and um, the people are having lots of questions for what he's doing. And uh, our president it was like two days ago, I think, our president tried to cover him, if if I may say so. And uh, this is not good. And we are all talking about it because because this person is not on his place. And we are not censoring ourselves. We are talking about it because, well, 
this is not the war part like like let's say it like this so when i answered the question about censorship <laughs> i can divide it into into parts and you're not working in a vacuum as Ukrainian journalists. There are many other people there um, from every country. Uh, here in the Netherlands, we see Dutch journalists going in and out, uh, foreign correspondents. Uh, I also see with the UK quite a lot of different journalists coming and going. What do you think that they're getting right and wrong in the way that they're reporting i don't know if you want to stand judgment over your fellow journalists but you know do you do you think they're doing a a, a useful job i have to thank them a lot actually because uh, uh i'm very thankful to all these journalists who are coming to ukraine and writing about the situation going on front line and uh, you probably know that since uh, 24th of uh, february there were many um, uh, journalists who were killed by russian army and uh, it, it is, for example, for approximately, it is more than 20 journalists and there are international journalists also. So I'm very thankful to people who, are, who come here and uh, even if it is dangerous, they're doing their job and writing and showing the whole world what, what is going on. But a few days ago, I uh, saw some strange articles in some newspapers. For example, like journalists and some so-called experts who um, wrote that Ukraine should surrender. Well, they didn't say that Ukraine should surrender, but they they were writing about plan for peace. And this plan for peace was all like Ukraine should accept all the Russian demands. And it's it's impossible because, well, we need Ukraine to be a country. And if we... Uh, accept all the Russian demands, there will not be Ukraine anymore. And it's strange that these articles, now we can find them in uh, international newspapers. And are there any any stories that they are not covering that they should be covering uh, for you? And also, does it, uh, also for yourself, are there stories that you are not doing that you would like to be doing now? Uh, about the war? Well, um, when the war started, we uh, in Babel, and I saw it in many other uh, newspapers, we've, st we've started English uh, versions so that people can read our stories also. They can find out what is going on from our side. And um, I can see that uh, people uh, read our English version. So I, I think that we did everything right, and people who are who are interested, they can find some information in Babel or other Ukrainian newspapers, uh, online outlets, etc. As to uh, our, my foreign colleagues, it's I'm sorry to say that, but I didn't have uh, I did I I don't read much right now because I I actually don't have time to do it i the one more thing which is difficult for journalists right now and i can see it from other journalists that it's a, it is difficult to work i mean you are doing the uh, we, we are working i like not we me for myself i'm doing the same work i was doing before but i need more time for it it is difficult to concentrate it is difficult to think it is it is more difficult I, and i think that this is because of war 
because it like you feel a little bit different and it, it's a little bit different to it's 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 difficult to to do your work and uh so and while i'm working slower <laughs> more, more slowly i cannot read uh, i don't have much time to read other articles and looking ahead i don't know assuming that the the war things change in some way is there a story that struck you that you really really want to to tell in the future that you think is going to i don't know encapsulate in some way what 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 ukraine has been through Yes, there is such a story, and uh, as I'm always saying, saying that I know where to start, and I know I don't know where to end. This is a story about the family of uh, mother, father, and two sisters. Uh, one sister was nine years old, and another was fifteen, and they were trying to escape from one of the occupied uh, towns. Uh, they um, they got under the uh, um, attack father and mother were killed and one of the girls was uh, injured uh, the younger one was okay and she was trying to pull out the her sister from the car and then the russians came and they took um, these two girls and one girl the younger one uh, they just gave her to stranger people in one of the uh, villages and no one knows where the older one because they told something like, we will take her to the hospital. And from this time, she is missing. No one knows where, she, where, where is she. And I'm thinking that she's 15 years old. She's a young lady. And after all these stories about rapes, etc., I'm very, I, I just feel horrible when I think what may happen to her. And I also know that people were trying to get some information in Belarus, for example, where where she she might be, and they didn't get uh, didn't uh, get this information. So my plan was uh, to go all through the way the Russians came out of Ukraine, and try to talk to people to find some information about this girl. Maybe someone saw her. Maybe well. Like to make my small investigation and probably to get some information who could see her. But well, I need I need lots of time for this and petrol for this. And uh, I don't know if if well, I have to work a lot to get this information, and I'm not sure if I will get any. And I hope that that we will find something about her. Yes, I hope so too. Um, we usually end this podcast with what we call asymmetrical haircuts questions, and so we have three questions for you that we didn't uh, that you we didn't prepare you for. One is uh, always a very journalist question: What didn't we ask you, uh, but we should have asked you? What do you think that we didn't uh, pay attention to, but we should have maybe? I'm always trying to to tell more about the crimes which Russians uh, did here because it's like I, I want every everyone in the world to know about it because they were not just killing, they were not just rapes, they they are deporting people to Ukrainians to Russia, and they are destroying homes, they are uh, just destroying the cities and it's 
and and when when I see Russian propaganda and they are saying that well it's Ukrainians who do this not Russians and I just cannot understand how people can believe it and it's it's terrible and what what is interesting that that this propaganda it works and we always ask um I don't know whether this will work for you but uh, do you have a kind of favorite court case something that you have covered or something that you've seen from a distance that you you kind of turn over again and again in your mind and say that was really interesting is there anything that you can remember covering I was I was wa- watching um watching the uh, such tribunal it was um, our former president Yanukovych it was uh, one of uh, these tribunals uh, when he uh, he was accused of treason and i was writing about this court from from the very beginning till the end and uh, um it was very interesting to see how the uh, prosecutors work how the judge works how the uh, lawyers work and um I was writing about it, a story. I, when, when this ended, I wrote a big story about it. And um, one of my editors told me after this that there was a guy who was who wanted to get the right to make a film about it, basing on my story. I mean, it never happened, but he wanted to... Well, at least there was a person who liked this story a lot and he wanted to to make a movie basing on my story. And now that you, you're bringing up this, following this court case, I have a, a, a question that I have for the kind of war crimes trial we've been seeing on the uh, here also on the news in the last couple of days. How do you see that, that first war crimes trial? Is this how these cases uh, uh, usually go in Ukraine? Because from, from uh, looking from abroad, it seems really quick. For example, this case of the 21-year-old Russian soldier who is uh, put on trial. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was it was pretty pretty quick. Uh, but I have to say that I think this is the first time in Ukraine we have such uh, such uh, court, and uh, I'm just learning what are they doing. So uh, I will not comment a lot because I I don't know and I cannot compare with anything. So I'm just looking uh, for h- how they are doing it. And uh, I'm very interested in um, future tribunals in Hague, actually. I'm looking forward to see some high-level persons from Russia, and I want to, to see them on the on that bench somewhere in Hague. Well, we're looking forward to you visiting here, but we have another final, final question, which um, is maybe a bit of a luxury in your current situation. But have you been reading anything or listening to anything recently that you would like to share with our audience? Or do you have a favourite book or a favourite movie that you think that other people would like like to to know about? Uh, You've already said that you're not reading a lot at the moment, but maybe there's something. Well, when the war started, I understood that I cannot see any movie, I cannot read any book, I cannot listen to any music. And only a week or two ago, I've started to do so. And you know what is it? It's about Nuremberg Tribunal. (laughs) 
and I, w- I was just looking for some documentaries about it and some uh, old movies about it. This is what I can watch right now. And the last uh, movie I saw, it is The Reader, I think. It is The Reader with Kate Winslet. I was just very impressed with this movie. I saw it yesterday, and this is really very good. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of a busy and crazy schedule and life at the moment for, for talking to us. And we really look forward to seeing you in The Hague and hopefully showing you uh, the ICC, where maybe someday somebody will show up and then you can report on that case with us. I, I hope it, it would be great. I hope so. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development, and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com, and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word. <laughs>